This morning I was having my secret time with the Lord in my secret place. And I was just reading. I'm, I'm reading in Numbers. Numbers is not a book that I expect to find a lot of convicting stuff. And as I was reading Numbers, 1433, I couldn't believe. I shared this with Bill back there. Basically it says this. Your children will pay for your lack of faith as parents. Isn't that a powerful statement from the book of Numbers? Your children will pay for your lack of faith as parents. What is faith? What is this we're to communicate to our kids and our family? Hebrews 11.16, or 11.6, I believe it is. I put 16, but I think it's 11.6, is the definition of faith from the Word of God. Number one, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if I want to please God, I must have faith. Whatever that is, I need that. The second thing, that he that comes to God must believe that God is. That God is the I am. I am God. I have to believe that. And that God is rewarder of those who diligently, or in the Greek it would be sincerely, seek him. So faith is, is believing God and sincerely seeking Him. One of the, the armor of, of Ephesians 6 for the Christian is the shield of what? The shield of faith. Warren Risby says, if I don't raise my shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of Satan, it's going to burn my house down. What is faith? What is this important thing as part of my protection from the flaming missiles of Satan? And so the question I want to ask you is, um, is your house on fire? And what do we need to do about it? Well, I want you to go to a wonderful illustration of faith is the Gospel of Mark, if you've got a Bible, I don't have um, this PowerPoint stuff. I was reading Daniel, and there were messages on the wall. It scared me so much that I... <clears throat> Swindoll said one time, I thought it was rather clever, he says, you've got one of them off-the-wall churches? <laughs> well, go to Mark 4. I think this is one of the best illustrations of faith in the whole Bible. It starts, I'm going to start reading in verse 35 and, and through 41. So if you don't have a Bible, just jot it down and go home and read it again. But it says, In the same day, when even was come, Jesus said unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitudes, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were with him other little ships. And there was a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship that was nearly full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on the pillow. When they waked him, he said unto them, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Now they hadn't read 1 Peter 5. Right? See, when I was um, 
As, as Bill said, I've traveled all over the world. I've worked with 42 different mission organizations with missionaries, you know, hurting on the field. They sent me out there to try to see if we could solve uh, issues and so on. But when I was down with a lick of Bible translators at their translation center in uh, Guatemala, um, teaching all the translators uh, warfare, they were coming in from all the Mayan villages and dialects and so on where they're translating scripture. Do you know today that there are 200 million people right now without one verse of scripture? How can you go in all the world and disciple, as Jesus said to do, when there's two million people who don't even have one verse of Scripture? I hope God will raise up some young people here with a burden to get involved in translating Scripture to the people that have no Word of God. But anyway, um, I had just looked at this verse, He careth, you know, cast your care on Him, He careth for you. I looked it up in the Greek, and it says your object of his care or matter of his concern. I got really excited about that. All the way flying down to Guatemala, I was so excited. You, you, you ever get a rhema you can't get rid of? You know, you just, not that you want to get rid of it, but I mean, it just keeps, I got, this is so neat, God cares. Do you know that God cares? I don't care if you care or not, God cares, <laughs> you know. God cares. And so I shared that down there, and this guy had just translated this verse for the Mayan Indians in their dialect. And get this, what concerns you concerns God. Isn't that beautiful? You got some concerns? Are some of your kids not exactly, you know? You know, you got your ducks, but they're not in order. You know, you know and what can you do? cast those concerns to him because he does care. Isn't that beautiful? God cares. I, 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 anyway, he said, Lord, don't you care? We're sinking. And Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there's a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have what? No faith. He said that to the disciples. You guys don't have any faith. <clears throat> and they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Now, Jesus did two things. First of all, he rebuked the wind, and then he said, Peace be still. If you talk to theologians that believe in spiritual warfare, they believe, and I personally believe, that that storm was caused by Satan and demonic forces. Can Satan affect weather? Have you ever read Daniel? In the book of Daniel, chapter 1, it says that Satan sent a tornado. And it's interesting in Mark, every time Jesus dealt with someone who was demonized, he rebuked the spirits. It's the same word where he rebuked the wind, but then he said, what, peace be still. So if you don't agree with me, you've been wrong before. <laughs> no, I don't care. I mean, but to me, it just makes it even more. Why not sink Jesus, the 12 disciples, and all the key followers in one storm? How can, Satan get rid of the whole movement right out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Well, I, I'm not much of a boater, but I know this. The problem is not how much water the boat's in. The problem is how much water's in the boat. And when the disciples said, this boat's in trouble, they were fishermen. You know, when I was flying here to speak to you guys... Uh, you men and women. 
pardon me, I just, in me, and guys fits better in men and women. I'm not real, uh, what do you call it, fancy. And uh, if the pilot said, hey, you know, uh, this plane's in trouble, and I turned to the, happened to be a lady sitting next to me that knew about this place, I said, don't worry about it. He does, what does he know what he's talking about? But he's the pilot. Well, I'll tell you, when a fisherman said this boat's in trouble, what can you believe? The boat's in trouble. But then why did Jesus say, why is it that you have no faith? Well, I think it goes back to verse 35. I'm going to read this in the VIN version. And it says, The same day when even was come, he said to the disciples, Let us go out in the middle and sink. Where did Jesus say they were going? To the other side. If Jesus said you're going to the other side, beloved, you're going to end up where? The other side. But the problem is there can be a storm or two between now and the other side. What's my definition of faith? My definition of faith is this. Simply believing what God has said. That's all God wants me to do is to believe Him. But let me tell you, simply believing is not always what? Easy. Right? Have you been a Christian a while? It's not always easy. But if I can't believe God and His Word, what can I believe? I need to believe that. Okay, how then do I, because Bill wanted to say, teach him, how do I, dep uh, let me put it, how do I impart my faith to my sons and daughters? Simple. You do it in the storms of life. That's where you do it. I mean, you can sit down and you can talk faith all you want to. But kids want to see what? That we walk faith. They want to see that Christianity and the promises of God works in the storms of life when our feet are wet because there's water in the boat. Now, <clears throat> I had a chance December 7th to display if I had faith or not. I've got to watch my time here. Um, December 7th, it was a Friday, I woke up in the morning and I noticed that my lower lip was numb like I'd been to a dentist. I tried buttoning my shirt and my fingers wouldn't work. And I started walking, my foot was asleep. I didn't know uh, what was wrong, but I knew something had to be wrong, because that's just not me, I'm always, you know, hyperactive, I had... ADD, and I think they named it after me as I grew up. They figured, we've got to call this guy something. Uh, but I needed it for my age now, you know. Uh, so now I'm more like normal, um, <laughs> excited, you know. <laughs> All energy, i got more of that normal level now as, as I'm getting older. Or, I'm not getting, I'm getting mature. Um, well, anyway, I am mentoring different guys. I'm telling our guys that M and I, I am M and I. <laughs> new name for the school, I am I, I want you to disciple someone. I want you to take what you're learning and impart it to someone else. It's very important because if information that we're pouring into these guys doesn't flow out of them, they're going to end up the, the Dead Sea and they're going to smell. Right. Why, why is the same river that flows into the Jordan 
been, I've been there. I mean, the Jordan River flowing in the Sea of Galilee, been there. Why is the Sea of Galilee, why doesn't it stink? Because it flows out down the river, but it ends up where? In the Dead Sea, and that smells. You can smell the Dead Sea long before you get there. It just has a real yucky smell. So I wanted them disciples. So if they're going to disciple, I need disciples. So I'm discipling five different people one day a week. Because I get to the office 5 o'clock in the morning, and so I disciple some at one at 5.30, another one at 6 or 6.30. And then I had a, it was so thrilling, I had a, one of your sons, but not this group, 16-year-old kid calls me on the phone from his state, and he said, Logan, I'm a mess. Would you spend time with me over the phone and help me to be the guy I really want to be? I said, no, you know, I'm pretty busy. You're just a snot-nosed kid. Anyway, I'm sorry, I don't want any part of you. <laughs> No, I was thrilled to have one of your sons call me on the phone and say, because, you know, I'm old enough to be his great-grandfather. I mean, I know I don't look it, but I was painted up in there. They asked me to come four hours early. (laughs) But anyway, so I'm mentoring a guy who's over a big division of a medical college, or medical whatever they call it. It's more than a college, a medical school. And he wasn't there on Monday. I called him the next Monday and I said, I'm going to tell you my symptoms and if you got bad news, don't tell me, but just tell me anything that's good news. And he said, you had a stroke. And I'm going, I don't need a stroke. And I, I visioned what strokes are like. That means it's all over. And I got, I'm running a Bible school. I love it. I have a counseling center. We've been counseling people for free. And we have missionaries coming from, we have people come from all over the world to our little old dinky place to see, can, can you help us? And it's just thrilling. I'm not ready. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I got my ticket. I'm on your show. It says heaven on there and everything. So my ticket's already, but I don't feel ready to go. And I don't want to lose my voice or I don't want to be drooling and distorted. I mean, this, I'm seeing all this in my head. And um, I wasn't a happy camper. I, I had a little talk with Jesus. It was kind of long. Telling him all the reasons why I didn't need this. And, uh, but I knew where I needed to go. Where did I need to go? First Thessalonians 5.18. In everything what? Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I knew I had to get there, but I was going to go slow. I just wanted God to know I wasn't in favor of, of having a stroke. And I found... I, you know, we teach our guys to have a secret place where they can be quiet before the Lord and hear the voice of God and all that kind of stuff. Well, I found that CAT scans, you know those things you put you in with all the horrible noise? It's a wonderful secret place. You know, and when they pull me, I had to have a number of those with all kinds of dyes. They pulled me out and I was sad because I wasn't through. Put me back in, I got some more things to tell God. You know? <laughs> but, you know, a secret place could be anywhere. I mean, if you can have... A time of quiet before the Lord in one of those things. You can have it in your house with your kids. <laughs> and so, I, as an act of my will, I did first, you know, everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So as an act of my will, because giving thanks is an act of my will done in obedience to God. And obedience needs to precede understanding. That's a biblical truth. If Noah would have waited until he understood what rain was to be obedient, he'd have been in trouble. When God told Moses to go down and raise his rod over the water, 
He was kind of slow and he said, oh, by the way, there's an Egyptian army, you know, over the hill uh, waiting to come and get you. And if I'd have been Moses, I would say, God, can I do it after dark? Because what if I stand on a rock or whatever I do and hold the stick up and nothing happens? I'd be embarrassed. <laughs> Is something supposed to happen? No, I'm just waving the stick. <laughs> <You know? clears throat> no, but see, you look in the Bible, people believed God and they act on it even though they didn't understand they just believed what he said. So as an act of my will, I gave thanks. And after I thanked God, the Spirit of God spoke to me. And this is what the Spirit said. Logan, we allowed you to have a mini-stroke so that you could take care of the health situation so you don't have a big one. And then I was able to thank God for my emotions because I saw the benefit of God's actions. But until I was willing to accept what God was doing, God did not re reveal to me the benefit of why he was allowing me to go through this. So, now I am thankful. Um, I went to my first basic seminar. Bill Gothard and I were extremely handsome. Um, <clears throat> you know, we'd have been poster boys in all kinds of magazines in those days. <clears throat> and Bill said something in that first seminar I went to in 1967. Uh, that changed my life. And I've shared this in all the Bible colleges I taught in and everything. And Write it down. Uh, Bill doesn't say this anymore, um, so I'll say it for him. And that's the statement. God will not allow anything. God will not allow anything to come into your life which will ruin or hinder God's purpose for your life. Did you get it? God will not allow anything to come into your life which will ruin or hinder God's purpose for your life, which is beyond your control. Can I mess up my life? Yes. But God's not going to mess up my life. Say, so I, I can mess it up. But if it's beyond, and I knew what? I knew that this stroke was beyond my control. And so I knew that, I, 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 I knew this. One of the best illustrations of this is John Payton. You can't get the book anymore. It's out of print. John Payton, 30 Years of the Cannibals. Now, they have taken out of that book, but that was the book. One day, John Payton is weeding his garden. Which is, you say, what's the big deal of that? Well, the thing is, there was a cannibal with a musket, loaded, pointed on him. He's going to shoot him. So as he weeds, this cannibal moves along with his gun. When he got the end of that row, when he started, then he moved this way with his gun on him. And I said, John Payton, how could you keep weeding a garden with a guy with a loaded gun that's going to shoot you? He said, well, if God shoots, if God allows him to shoot me, I go to heaven. If not, this garden needs weeding. <laughs> but see, he believed that, didn't he? That God is in control. And I want to walk in the spirit, as Bill was talking about before. You know, that changed my life. The first time Bill said that, remember the one he just told you? It was at a medical seminar. I was sitting there. And Bill said that. And I thought, you know, I never thought of that. I mean, I want to walk in the spirit. I never ask the Lord to fill me every day. It changed my life. There's a lot of little things that just kind of fall out of his mouth. You know what I'm saying? And you think they clunk. No, they don't clunk. They're dynamite. You know, it's just a statement, and he goes on, and I'm going, wow, 
grab a holiday and I begin to pray. Oh, Lord, fill me every day. Use me in the lives of these hurting people that have come. The tragedies that we have to deal with. Use me and God will do it. Okay, now how can you and I grow in our trust of God? Because that's what we're talking about. You know, as parents, how can we grow in our trust and faith of God so we can communicate that to our children as they see it lived out? And that is by spending quality time with God. The more I know Him, the more I can trust Him. What's the first piece of the armor of God, the belt of truth? What's the first attack of Satan to keep you from reading Scripture? He doesn't want you in the Word. Because if you're not in the Word, you don't know who this guy is. And as you spend time with him, you will know. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, it said God created man so that he could walk and talk with them and they could hear his voice. Remember, they heard the voice of God walking in the garden. Then, when they left the garden, you don't hear anything more about a relationship with God until chapter 4, verse 26. And at the very end of that chapter, there's a statement that says, Men begin to call on the name of the Lord. Well, that's interesting. From, and it lists all these people born... And this is the first time now, after the garden, all these people came. All of a sudden, now they're calling on the name of the Lord. I looked it up in Zodiades, and it was really interesting. Zodiades said, this is the first instance of regular, solemn, public worship of God. This is where people begin to gather together to what? Worship God. First mentioned, the end of chapter 4. But then you go down to chapter 5 and you read in chapter 5, you read about a guy by the name of Enoch. Enoch was not satisfied with what? Gathering for public worship. Doing, quote unquote, the church thing. He felt there's got to be more than that. And all of a sudden, here is a man who wants the Garden of Eden experience. To worship with everybody was not enough. He sought an intimate relationship with God, and he walked with God, and he talked with God, and God talked to him, and one day what? God took him. They had such a close relationship. I pray for our IMI guys, and I pray for this group here, that you would not be satisfied to be a part of the group. That you, that God would give you a hunger and a thirst for Him that you would want to know Him intimately. That you'd want to step out, not to be a part, I'm not saying not be a part of the crowd, but more than that. What is interesting, and you can look this up, just thrilled my heart, is in Genesis 24, I mean, pardon me, it's Exodus 24, 1 and 2. God speaks to Moses. He said, Moses, Aaron, Nabab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders 
can come up the mountain with you. The rest of them can't even come. But they can come up with you. And then it says, but they have to worship at a distance. Moses, you alone, can come near to God. Out of all of that, there was just one man that could come near to God, that would enter that real intimate relationship as Moses and God talked to each other. The rest. Don't be satisfied, mom and dad, with regular, solemn worship. This is worshiping God at afar. Worship Him close. I shared this last year. Here. Psalms 36, 7 and 8 says, If you will take refuge under the shadow of His wings, that is where you can drink of God's rivers of pleasure and delight. Psalms 36, 7 and 8. The Hebrew word for pleasure and delight is an interesting word. It carries a thought of, number one, secrets. You look through Scripture. The Bible says God has secrets He wants to share with you if you will go into the secret place where He'll share His secrets with you. And it's also, that word, Reverend Delight, is also the Hebrew word for Eden, the Garden of Eden. It's the place where God walked and tear, uh, talked and shared His heart with Adam and Eve. You and I can have what? We need to get back to Eden. We need to have our time with Him. We need to come to the garden alone, and it's the only way to come. I come to the garden alone, why? Because He what? Walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me what? I'm special to Him. Have you heard God say, you're special to me? Are you coming to the garden alone? How then can we draw near to God? Moses drawed near. God is inviting us to draw near to him. If you have your Bibles, go to James 4. James chapter 4. Verse 6, it's really good. It says, God gives us more grace. What is grace? Philippians 2.13, it is God who's working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I see grace as the word for power. It's a place where God empowers me to make choices that would honor him. What do I need? Grace. How much grace is there? More grace. There's always more power to make choices that would honor God than no matter what I'm going through. Always more power. But we go on and it says, Wherefore, he said, God resists the proud. Resist means push away, not to allow to remain, stay, or enter. So God says, I have power to give, but if we see people living depowered lives, we know that they have pride issues they've not dealt with. Because if God before us, what? Answer this one. If God is resisting you, does it make any differences for you? And who does God resist? The proud. What's a proud person? 
It's not kids. Most, most of these, these young boys around here uh, stand in the mirror and do the muscle stuff. That's okay. Don't you want your sons to be glad they're male? Don't you want them to affirm their maleness? But you don't want them to live there all the time. You know, they, they can be there. Well, the girls can be there a lot too, you know, with their hair and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if they wore it in a bun like the old days, they wouldn't have to worry. All the girls just wrap it up, stick it back, and be out of there, nothing flat. Okay, now. <clears throat> but God gives grace to the humble. Let me give you a definition, my definition of a humble man and a proud man. A proud man is, God, don't worry about it. I can do it. You know what your greatest weakness is? Your strength. Your greatest weakness is your strengths. Because I can do that with or without God. Right? Don't worry, God, I can do that. It's real easy for me to what? I mean, you can tell. My hands fly. It's easy for me to talk. The bigger the group, the easier it is. But I could do it in the flesh. And maybe you wouldn't know. But I don't want to do it in the flesh. Because I want what I say speak to your hearts, not to your heads. You know, that God would speak to your heart. And that's the Holy Spirit. And, I'm, and I've been praying this morning. I didn't go to any meetings or anything. I just was in my room praying and reading Scripture and just asking God to use me to challenge you to draw close to him. Then he says, if I humble myself, in the humble thing is this, God, if you don't work in this meeting, it's not going to happen. Is that right? Isn't that right? If God doesn't work here, it's not going to happen. We want God to work. We want God to work in hearts and speak to hearts and so on. God, that is humility. God, use what I'm saying, please. You know, I may not be fancy, and, and my English may, may not be all that great. I mean, I am English, but um, I flunked it in school. Flunked it in college, too. So uh, you just have to put up with a guy who flunked English. Uh, but I think you understand what I'm saying, and that's the most important. If you can understand me, I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, <clears throat> see, so I need to humble. But it goes on from humbling. After I humble myself, I am to submit my life to God. And what's submit? It's opening every area of my life to the control of the Holy Spirit. Exactly what Bill was talking about. What are the two hardest areas for your sons and daughters to open up to the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you. Music and courtship or dating. I don't care what you call it, but relationship with the opposite sex. Because they have a distorted view. If they give their music to God, a lot of kids do, they're going to have to listen to... Um, Chamber music. And to me, they've got to play chamber music in the chamber and shut the doors. You know, it just doesn't get to me at all. I mean, it does get to me, but not in any proper way. Um, and then this person that, that God's got for them really loves the Lord, but is horribly repulsive. Yeah, I mean, there's a distorted view. If you, hey, you just be in my office and you get these phone calls. We had a kid, there, a kid there last week. He said, if I submit my life to God, like you're telling me, I'm going to have to get rid of my videos. I said, you're right on. And I'm giving you a list of videos. You know which ones are right or wrong. You know, if I submit to God, I'm going to have to make what? Changes. Isn't that right? You know, I have the Holy Spirit. He may point things out that I need to throw off. 
And some people don't want to go there. Well, if I like what Risby said, because we're to submit to God and resist the devil. If we are resisting God, the devil goes nowhere. Any area of my life that I don't want God to control, Satan will. Do you hear that? That's Warren Risby. Sharp man. I just put a bullseye in my chest. Because I can't trust God with this area of my life. I want to hold on to it. And when I do, I, that's the area where the enemy is going to get an entrance in my life. The very area I refuse to let God come in and deal with. Then he goes on. I need to resist the enemy. He'll leave. Then draw close to God. As I go up, God comes down. Just look at Moses. As he went up, what? God came down. And when you draw nigh to God, it's always an up experience. You understand that? It's always an up experience. To go close to Him and to have Him come down to you. And when He comes down, the first thing you may have to do is cleanse your hands, your sinners, right? When you come in God's presence, the Spirit of God can point out things that we need to, to what? Take care of by the blood of Christ. Take care of those things. Ask God to purify your heart. You're double-minded. I remember what Bill said about double-mindedness years ago. It's a person that sort of wants to run their own life and yet wants to be committed to God. James 1, Daisuke person, double-souled person. Purify. God, just, I just want you, all of you, and I want you to have me in all of me. Remember Psalm 24, 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He that hath what? Clean hands and what? It's all in Scripture. If you're going to have a walk with God, it's God's terms. You hear that? It's what God says. Wash your hands. Purify your heart. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Draw close to me. I promise I will draw close to you. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still. That was the hardest thing for me to be still. Why? And know. And know what? God. I have 1,300 books in my library right now on prayer and the deeper life, and I've read most every one of them. And many of the authors of these books on prayer and walking close to God say this, without stillness, there is no knowing. You can know about God, but without stillness, you will not know God. And the know there in, in the Old Testament is what? Yada. God told Adam to yada Eve, and the result was what? Kids. Intimacy. God is inviting you to have an intimate relationship with him. And why am I to draw near and be still so I can hear the voice of the shepherd? I want you to go, if you have your Bibles, please go to John 10. You've got to see this. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. I told you last year I was reading the Gospels through all the time. I still am. It's been two years now. When I get through John, I go back and start Matthew. Because he's based sound doctrines on the words of Christ, and that's what leads to Christ-like living. Now, I read the rest of the Bible, but I'm reading it through, and it's amazing. I'm getting more and more insights when I'm reading the Gospels every day. Still reading them every day. And I'm getting more and more insights all the time. You think you, you would know everything. It's amazing how God is unlocking the Gospel of John. Well, let's look at John 10. 
John 10, Jesus said, uh, he said, um, I better start. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door unto the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leads them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. Now let me tell you something. We get people that have obsessive-compulsive issues. We also have people that are under the influence of religious spirits. You know how you can tell someone that's under the influence of religious spirits? They're driven people. God does not drive his people. God what? Leads his people. And there's a difference between being driven and being led. Now, what can we learn from these verses? God says the sheep hears his voice. The second thing he says, his sheep recognize his voice. So what are we learning here? Let me give you these things down. This is so important. Bill's going to talk about this, and Bill's got a book on this. I haven't read the book yet because I wanted to do my own thing and not read his thing. So, you know, then I hope they, uh, I think they're going to match, but you know what I'm saying? You read someone else, and then you're preaching his stuff. And he just wrote this book. It's on the back of your stuff. It talks about it. Number one, the Lord has a voice. Is that what it's saying? The Lord has a voice. Number two, the Lord uses his voice. Number three, the sheep have ears to listen. That's what he's teaching in those five verses. What about the sheep? The sheep hear his voice. The sheep know his voice. And the sheep will follow what? His voice. Verse 16, 10.16 in this chapter says, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. They also I must bring, for they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. And I was some of those other sheep. And he said, the other sheep will what? Listen to his voice. Are you listening to the voice of God? Are you ever quiet enough that God wouldn't have to scream to get your attention? He speaks in what? A still, small voice. Are you getting alone with God? Are you drawing close to Him? Do you have a secret place where you meet with God and say, Lord, I'm here? Do the Samuel thing. You know, Lord, I'm here. Speak. Speak to me. Speak to my heart. Speak, speak to me. And then 1027 in the same chapter, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they will what? Follow me. Whose voice are you following? Your family needs parents that are drawing close to God. 
parents who are purifying their heart and they're cleansing their hands and are meeting with God to get the instructions from the shepherd. The, your kids need to see that kind of faith. And that's the kind of faith children need. And I can share this with you as, as we get two minutes left. My wife is a very godly woman. Um, often, the Spirit of God wakes her up at night and lays people on her heart that she needs to pray for. Maybe she forgot to pray for them that day. She prays for so many people. My wife's pretty much an invalid now. But the one thing that we look back is so wonderful. All of our kids have accepted the Lord. Three of them have given their life to full-time service. The other one, a daughter, married a guy that makes a real living. You know, he's not sponging off of God like the other three. <laughs> All of our grandkids know the Lord Jesus Christ. And our grandkids, some of them, are going into full-time ministry. See, in spite, and we didn't homeschool, we sent them to public school. You know, we didn't, never heard about home teach, never heard of it. At that time, our kids weren't so bad, they had to be home teached. Remember that? You know, if they were thrown out of public school, no Christian school would have them, then you home teach them, right? You, you don't realize, but, you know, homeschooling was not a real popular thing years ago. Well, you're homeschooling, oh, your kids are that bad. Well, you know, maybe they can go to prison and get their education there. <laughs> but see, in spite of all the stuff you have, we tried hard, taught our kids to stand alone. And they're walking with God. And I can tell you, I'm at the end of life. I know that um, some of you were shocked, but I am 76. I am Bill Sr., and I remind him that how he's to treat his elders. <laughs> but I look back over my life. I wish I had been more faithful. I wish a lot of things. But I wouldn't change it. I've had the most wonderful years of walking with God. It's been so special. And I look back and I know I've touched a few people for eternity. And that's what counts, isn't it? You know, I, I, it's hard for me to believe that this old man I'm shaving with all these wrinkles and things showing up on his face is me. You know what I mean? I'm looking in the mirror and I'm going, how could it be so fast gone? You know, it's... I've already lived six years beyond three score and ten. So I don't know when I'm going to go. I don't want to go. But I do want to go. Isn't that kind of amazing? I want to go. Lord, I want to go, but let me stay here. <laughs> I feel i got more to do. But if, I want to challenge young people. You know, yeah, you've got your whole life ahead of you, but one day you're going to be where I am and you're going to look back. How much of my life has counted for eternity? Isn't that what counts? You know, you can be successful in the business world, but I consider you a failure if your children are not walking with God. Success is not house, cars, all that stuff. Are your kids tearing your heart out? Or are you excited? One of the greatest things, and I have to close with this, one of the greatest excitements I had was two weeks ago, my son 
stood with me and taught at IMI. What a joy. And we performed the wedding of our oldest granddaughters together. You know, I, I, it's just a thrill to be able, although he's another part of the United States, but to, to minister together is it's just thrilling. You know, and, and to have kids that love God and have a wife that's praying for them. That, well, they're gone out of the house, you know, forget them. No, we've got more prayer responsibility now when they're gone than when you have them around. Well, let's pray. Father, what kind of faith are we demonstrating before our kids? We want our kids to walk with you. We want our kids to trust you. But Lord, are we? Are we drawing nigh to you? Are we cleansing our hands? Are we spending time alone? Are we allowing the shepherd to give us instructions? Are we listening to his voice? Father, I want to thank you so much this morning, just sitting there reading my Bible, and all of a sudden you hit me between the eyes with the lack of faith on the part of parents is going to affect their kids negatively. I, I, I didn't even know it was in the Bible. Lord, I thank you for giving me that. I hope they can take it out of here. It's your word, it's not me. And so, Father, I pray that, that we might see we need to get alone and spend time with God. And Father, I pray those letters I have out there, all of them have different things in them about drawing close to God and so on, because that's such a burden in my heart. I pray, Father, if they'd be a help to somebody here, that they would take one. And that you would use or take all four of them, the four different ones, Lord, and maybe you can encourage them in their walk with you. Raising kids is not easy. We know that, Father. Getting them to submit their will to mom and dad and to submit their will to you, Father, is a challenge. But thank you for the challenge because the results are worth the challenge. Thank you for giving us families. Thank you, Father, for giving us a program that can help us to turn out kids that would walk in a godly way and be an honor to you, Father. And I pray that you would bless our mealtime, our fellowship around the table, and continue to bless as we sit in here and hear tremendous truths that can help us in our walk with you. In Christ's name we ask this and for his glory. Amen.